Hello and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, where podcast is dedicated to equipping and encouraging parents, children's workers, and even pastors to disciple the children that God has put under their care and influence. We're trying to further the conversation about how what we believe, that's our theology, affects how we parent, how we minister, and how we live. As always, I'm joined by... Pastor Anthony Trussoni, uh Tony, the family pastor at Westminster Baptist Church in Westminster, Maryland. How you doing, Ben? I'm doing okay. And I'm Ben Palaz. I'm the family and children's discipleship pastor at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia. Now, I have to ask you before we get in much in this uh, conversation, Ben. So are you hoping in the Super Bowl the Patriots win, the uh, Eagles win, or are you hoping that uh, somehow uh, something happens strange with the space-time continuum and this is all undone (laughs) in a work of God's great justice? Yeah, and that the Falcons end up winning it. Um, No, I I just want to see the Patriots lose. (laughs) I imagine you, you concur. Connie, I imagine that uh, you have a little bit different feelings on that. Well, I'm actually a Broncos fan because I grew up in Colorado most of the time. So, yeah, and uh, I can think I can remember an awful game between the Broncos and Patriots many years ago, and I still kind of hold that against the Patriots. So <laughs> I'm afraid I am still also of the same persuasion. It's like I kind of like to see them lose also. So, anyway. well, And that, that's our special guest today, uh, Constance or Connie Dever. Um, now, Connie is the author of the Praise Factor Family Praise Factory Family of Curriculum. Uh, now, her bio on her website says that she's been teaching children and developing curriculum for use in churches in the United States and abroad for over 30 years. Uh, she's also wife to Mark, the senior pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., and the president of Nine Marks. So, Connie, it's good to have you with us today. How are you? Thanks. Good to be here. Well, we appreciate you taking the time for us. Um, well, I have a personal question for you. Do you remember Byron and Barbara Boyer in Louisville, Kentucky? Oh, absolutely. Okay, they, they said that they housed Mark's uh, part of his library when you guys moved to England, and they were afraid that the roof was going to cave in. Oh, that's so funny. Well, now it probably would be our basement that would cave in. So when the kids when the kids left home, uh, the, the playroom down in the basement of our house wasn't used as much and then finally this past year they decided like and oh we know what we'll use that for we'll make that mark's extra play playroom and so <laughs> anyway, very good so uh, yes yeah. there are there were a lot of books and there's even more now so there's that uh, well t- we want to talk to connie today about that that praise factory family curriculum and just the the overall idea of teaching theology to kids. Um, when it comes to ministry to children, too often what can prevail is a focus on you know fun, psychedelic lights and lasers, cuteness, sentimentality, I mean, you name it. Um, and those are all things that we have, I hope, charitably critiqued um, in various ways on this podcast before. But Connie's going to take us a little further in that. And she's actually had the radical idea of teaching kids doctrine across the whole Bible. And so... Uh, Connie, with that intro, where did the idea for Praise Factory Investigators and, and the related curricula, where did that come from? Ben, you mean Connie doesn't sell psychedelic lights on the side, by the way? How do you know? <laughs> <laughs> there was there was no links, but I, I, guess, I suppose it's possible. Yeah, no, not, not really, so you got me pegged there. Uh, well, I guess circumstantially, uh, the idea came up when we first 
moved here to Washington, D.C., and Mark became senior pastor here at Capitol Hill Baptist Church. There, uh, there was already in place during the Sunday school hour a uh, your more standard through the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament sort of curriculum. And um, my husband, in case you didn't know, preaches about an hour-long sermons. And, um, and so our, while our goal, um, even in the way we write curriculum, is for everyone to gather together. We're not certainly not fans of having a, something separate going on for the teens during church time and something else separate for the elementary school kids because we think that kids will learn better uh, in homogenous groups. We want to see a picture from a revelation of the whole body gathered together before the throne. And we Amen. see worship services as a dress rehearsal of that. So while that is our goal, nonetheless, our services uh, run about an hour before we even get to the sermon. So, um, so we decided we really wanted our kids in for the prayers and the scripture readings and all sorts of other things that take place. No psychedelic lights, though. Um, during the first part of the service uh, and, um, and provide something for those with younger elementary school kids who would like that for their kids to um, a special class for them. And, and then we uh, would keep eyes on them. And as they seem to be ready to gather with the whole body, then we're like, we'll say to parents, so we think your child's ready. So go ahead, take them back and keep them um, for the whole sermon, yeah. um, which is basically fourth grade. And then now it's third grade, just due to numbers, we've had to lower that. But anyway, so my husband comes, He's preaching hour-long sermons. We decided we wanted a second teaching time. We didn't want it to be like the Sunday school time. And um, and I'd already been doing quite a bit of thinking about reaching kids. And so they basically said, what would you like to do? And because since I was eager to try to help think of what would be a good second program, and I just my answer was everything. And so, you know, I didn't want to go Baskin-Robbins and have vanilla. <laughs> I wanted to have all... 31 or however many flavors there are. And so, um, and I just thought uh, it needed to be organized. And so when you when you put to get everything together with organized, you kind of get systematic theology in my mind. Yes. So, um, and there's a, you know, there's a great, we have a great heritage of that um, in catechisms. And so that was another piece of teaching theology is using that question and answer um, model of theology. Praise the Lord. That's wonderful. That's yeah. I mean, just having theology, like you said, the bringing it all together. I mean, it just shows the truthfulness of Scripture, uh, the God's behind it, and we have a reliable God. He, he's right. consistent. And so. yeah, and I, I think the reason why uh, you know some people will say, really, that seems like a little bit uh, deep for little kids, and but you know, God created them with the Spirit. He created them to know and love Him. Um, and part of that spirit is a curiosity, and especially in this broken world, to understand and make sense of it. And so I would, we find that giving them a structured look at the truths of God helps them have a great framework to understand both the, the brokenness and the hope of redemption in their lives and that we've seen already in our lives. So they seem very much to care about it, but not if you think you're going to sit them in a classroom, like um, 
in seminary, well, then that's where you need to reconsider uh-huh. what you're doing. So yeah. the way out, the way uh, we put it is two dead men and a diamond. The first dead man was um, Martin Luther. and He talked about theology not just being dry and heady stuff, but how you live and how you die. And, um, and I would say that pretty much sums it up for me and, um, and I think for the kids as well. Um, and then dead man number two was John Bunyan. He talked about truths using all the gates to the heart. And uh, so whether it was the eye gate or the ear gate or whatever kind of gate, we even add the stomach gate. And actually, it's one of our most popular gates mm-hmm. um, and so, that, so that everything actually that in terms of activities helps lead them back to this truth. Um, and that's a great way to teach. We found that's a great way to teach theology because um, the kids, I guess now they what they call it, multiple intelligences and, uh, you know, being multisensory, all that sort of thing. That's basically what the gates come down to. It's just that we're headed for the heart as the Lord um, enables and, um, and for the head as well. That's awesome. Um, so. Praise the Lord. Well, and the third one is the diamond. I forgot the diamond. You have two dead men and a diamond. And the diamond, um, my husband loves Puritan sermons. Um, and As one of them. Yes, I do. Yeah, there's some really good ones. Anyway. My son's well, middle name is Sibs. So. Oh, I mean, there you go. That is wonderful. <laughs> I love Richard Sibs. I love Bruce Reed. It's, I mean, obviously Mark did his PhD a on him. Sweet so dropper. I, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he's awesome. <clears throat> anyway, but oftentimes when they're when they preach a sermon, they look at a truth from a lot of different perspectives, kind of like the facets facets of a diamond. And again, we find that's been a great way to teach theology is not just present the truth and okay, now on to the new one, but um, but let's let's take it and look at it from a lot of different facets. So that's awesome. That's how that's how we've done theology, and that's yeah. why we do theology. Well, yeah, I, I find amazing and and so right your implementation of how you know, we need to bring all of Scripture into it, you know, and, and not just you know the Baskin Robbins approach that that giving them everything and and it actually makes me think of you know as as many think that it it might be above the heads. I think of Second Timothy three, where it so clearly shows how Timothy in his childhood by his mother and his grandmother were given all that Baskin Robbins choices and all those Baskin Robbins <laughs> choices together uh, that all scripture it shows even the minor prophets even stuff like that came together into the stew that was the uh, was timothy in a really yeah. amazing way that god drove so yeah i think that's really amazing so now uh why take the root of uh teaching systematic theology as opposed to just chronological character studies maybe topical approach that many might take uh, and, you know, and with that second part of that question, how do you think it is effectively done and what are effective ways of doing that teaching of systematic theology? Um, first of all, we, with what we've been having, with what our church does during the Sunday school hour, um, we already sort of have a chronology going on, um, a chronology teaching going on. So I find that Praise Factory is... Is a is a it's a beautiful twosome, well, really sort of threesome, because we also do we do missions in the evening called the Great Commission Club. Uh-huh. Um, so um, so I don't know that I would choose one over the other, um, but I also find that at home usually what's happening is kids are getting more read Bible stories, 
chronologically as well. Yeah. So we seem to bring another piece to it. It's also another desire that I had was to try to create a curriculum that could be used in a lot of different ways. And so we've had people use it as a VBS, use it kind of instead of Awana's various things. And by the fact that, um, uh, and, and you know, systematic theology is sort of topical if you think about it, you yeah. know, yeah. by by theme, that you can take one um, theme, and we've often done that, is take one particular um, one of the themes and used it um, in a particular setting such as VBS. So, so I guess that was another reason why I chose that is it has a lot of flexibility. And then the how, I, I guess I was just kind of saying that is with understanding, I call it know your critters. And mm -hmm. which means, you know, when you've got very small critters, um, like very young, you know, toddlers, twos and threes year olds, then, then what you're going to do is kind of understand who they are, what they're like, go and they play <clears> and then they come back and they learn. And we use music in the background while they're playing and different things like that. So, and then when you get to older kids, we're still using a lot of activities, but understanding what they're like and, um, and make those activities fit them. Um, so, but again, that importance of you making all the activities a conduit of truth is key to me. And it's, it's something that, uh, takes a, takes a, a session from, oh, your teaching time. And then, oh, your kids are just kind of going wild and enjoying themselves, but not really remembering what. Um, what they learn to the whole time is learning and then kind of relearning from a different angle. Yeah. Um, that same truth. That's good. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. that. Well, you, you talk about uh, the idea of truth in a time capsule while teaching kids. Kind of unpack that for us. John Newton is a great example of that. Uh, he taught very well by his mother at a young age, um, and probably even used Isaac Watts's um, catechisms for young children. That was all the rage at that time. And um, she died when he was still very young of tuberculosis. And um, her, his, his father was a not-so-godly but respectable seafaring captain. And under his charge, things changed quite a bit. And, and it wasn't until much later in his life that when he was out in the storm that and cried out to God that it was the truths that his mom taught him when he was very young that, um, that, that came back to mind. So there's a perfect example of a time capsule. You know, she died not even knowing what would happen uh, to him. I don't know, you know, how he was particularly presenting himself with the spiritual truths he was being taught. But there, many years later, those very truths came back, and the Lord used those. Um, so I guess that's that's what I, I think of with the time capsule, is that you teach well for the day. You, you teach the best you can for the person in front of you. But if you can not only make it understandable and enjoyable, but memorable, then um, may God in his grace use that many years later to, um, to convert them or to, to help grow them. I shared... Uh, I guess a brief version of that uh, with someone recently at kind of in a similar situation. He grew up hearing the word, that kind of thing. And he went off the deep end and it seems that he's, he's wanting to, to follow the Lord now. And so um, I shared that with him as an encouragement. And, uh, and so, yeah, it, 
you sow the seed and, and sometimes it takes a while for it to sprout. But, and I think it's, you know, teaching can be one of the most thankless jobs if you think of what happened just in your classroom that day. I mean, sometimes you're just glad that, um, you know, when that final, final minute comes and the parents arrive and you're like, oh my, do I really want to do this again the next week? But uh, uh, to realize, yeah, they are just seeds. And, and the Lord is the one who decides that germination time. And um, yeah, I think that's the best way to encourage your teachers, to remind them, think, think long. The Holy Spirit does amazing things. That's good. You know, you made it public that you suffered through thyroid cancer and still with, live with the after effects of it. You've even written a book about your experience called He Will Hold Me Fast. Uh, the Lord has graciously given you more days. What role has theology played in sustaining you in the midst of that trial? Well, um, I guess a couple ways. Uh, first of all, uh, just it's been the, the truths that go up on the walls in the room of my heart uh, to get me through whatever it is that uh, is going on in my body and yeah. whatever, however that um, um, what that yeah what what that looks like from day to day and it still seems to you know have a pretty deep effect on it um, so. Uh, but it's uh, I think how to say this. It's I have found that I have to keep sticking the truth up over and over and over again. So um, theology has not been a, a sort of once and done victory over uh, whatever fear I have or you know, other weakness that I face through this. I found that it is it needs to be my daily companion and. Um, mm. And it's, it's been a real challenge to face my mortality in a way that yeah. I never had before with this and, and watch and ask, cry out for God to take the truths that I've spent basically my life writing about and, um, and, and, and breathing life into them and breathing himself into them and really making, um, you know, comforting me that this really is who he is. So um, I feel like I've been my own uh, guinea pig with um, seeing how you learn the truths and um, and then they come back to, to be there for you, uh, sort of as servants of the Lord, but it's the Lord himself who has to, has to come and, and make them what makes you stronger and um and closer to him and yeah. have more faith um so on one hand uh i would say it's definitely how i've lived and i don't think i'm dying yet but anyway it's definitely how i've uh gotten through is thinking about his truths but also because i've been writing the second edition of the curriculum uh it's also been so sweet of the lord to um have me in the midst of doing the second edition uh, as I'm going through and needing these truths. Because um, especially with the older curriculum that has 
the Bible stories, but also has the church history mission stories. Uh, just seeing what God has done in different people's lives. Uh, and then as particularly is reflected in a particular Bible truth. And um, yeah, so it's been, it's been very sweet. And I um, am 57 and really was hoping I would be done with this curriculum. I think uh, it's been 20 years. I've been working on different renditions of this and to finally come to this, what I believe is my final version and to see him come back so kindly and well, and, and say, no, you actually are still in the harness, and it's not just because I I want you to drag your feet in this, but because I want that truth to be there for you as you're going through this. Amen. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing yeah. Uh, yeah. on that personal level. Um, and I, as I was preparing for this, I had seen the book on Amazon, and um, so I just thought I thought that would be an excellent way to to bridge how. Like you right. said, the quote from Martin Luther, <laughs> that theology is how we live and how we die. It's, it is intensely practical. and um, I, I think I probably made reference to this on other episodes, but we recently had a conversation with David and Sally and Michael, uh, Children right. Desiring God, and they talked about that that very reality, that the suffering will come, and, and if we're just teaching kids to share or something like that, using the, the story of the feeding of the 5,000, um, and when suffering comes or when persecution comes that teaching them to share is not going to cut it. Yeah. That's a great, that's such a great example. Yeah. One of, one of the things we try to encourage our teachers with, um, encourage ourselves and our parents is, um, is teach the gospel that saved you. Don't teach the truths that, that God is using in your life. And, to remember that as you're preparing your lessons, because this is this isn't just dry and heady stuff. This isn't just a set of, you know, 20 things that you should do to have a successful life. No, this is we serve the living God, and um, and we know that we have that testimony, that living testimony in our lives, and um, it's a wonderful way to um, to provide the kids, besides their parents, yet another model yet another example of the lord's transforming work in our lives amen Amen. that's good yeah you know ben i do have to comment i really wonder what percentage of our podcast martin luther has brought up in (laughs) it's got to be more than half of this oh that's so funny (laughs) it's starting to sound like a mark seifert class or something (laughs) yeah pretty much so, Connie, why you, you talk on your website and the materials that you guys have put out uh, about the need for pastoral oversight of children's ministry. Why do you think that's so crucial? And why do you think it's too frequently lacking? Well, I think that pastors are given oversight, spiritual oversight of their churches, and kids are part of the church. And so... One reason why it's so important is that they will be called to account for the people under their care. Um, So that's just straight on the pastoral side. Secondly, I think um, that many times children's ministry can be seen as a service. And um, and there's definitely that element to it um, where you have people watching very small children who just need their diapers changed and be fed while their parents are in Sunday school or in a worship service. Um, But it's, it's so much more than that as well. Um, 
as we know, that the opportunity to teach truth, even if it's just during an hour or two on a Sunday morning, can have major repercussions uh, immediately and then in the long run in the life of children. And so we want the, our pastors who shepherd us to be the ones who um, are deciding what is the best truth to uh, give to those kids. And also, if you think about it, children's ministry is often one of the most heavily volunteered sections of your church. So that means that you need to not just be thinking about what the kids are learning in terms of truth, but you also need to be thinking about are the people who are serving them getting fed as they should. Um, and oftentimes there'll be people who will serve and serve and serve and serve when they really need to be maybe in Sunday school themselves or in listening to the sermon themselves. So so I think you're you're caring well for your for all your volunteers, which is most of your membership, um, by having good pastoral oversight, understanding what's going on with whom and making sure they're getting well fed. Um, and then another piece of it is um, one of the one of the biggest things that the parents who are in your church are going to do is raise their children. And so, again, that's a part of shepherding your adults is by being alongside them, being equip them, both with how you teach their kids in Sunday school and any resources that you can share with them to use with their kids at home. So I guess I see all three of those things as reasons why pastoral oversight is important. Um, and why I think it's too frequently uh, lacking. I think, again, it goes back to the service idea uh, where, where you feel like, well, if they're just looking after some kids, then, you know, what's particularly spiritual about that? And so we'll just let them do that. Um, and, and, but then side can be sometimes the people who need the oversight really don't want the oversight, that it's a nice little pocket of, of uh, fiefdom, I guess you could say, and they want to do their own thing and they kind of don't want to be led. And so that's certainly not much fun to try to provide oversight to people who aren't looking for it, rather do their own thing. Uh, so I guess those are, both of those would be extremes where it might be lacking. Um, and then number three, more in the middle would be, is that pastors are super busy. And especially in churches where you have just a senior pastor, there's a whole lot of hats to wear. And, and to feel like, okay, I've given some other person, um, you know, responsibility over the kids. I trust them. I'm just going to let them roll with it. I, you know, more families seem to be coming. Their parents are happy. Families are happy. They're, you know, they're glad that we have this program and that program. That's good enough. I can understand why, why if, it's, if it doesn't seem broken, why fix it? Mm -hmm. um, so. Yeah. That's good insight. Yeah. Um, but I, if I can just take that one step further, I guess um, what I, the reason why when we have our workshop here um, at Capitol Hill Baptist for uh, children's ministry people, we we tell the pastors, 
please push through if necessary or or take time or designate one of your pastors if you've got multi-pastors to to provide oversight for children's ministry it's just they they need it even if they don't realize they need it um and uh the, we have been blessed so much by having uh, one of our pastors um, oversee us and not only has he just given us insight that we in ways that we weren't thinking of uh and directing how the, the way we would teach things um that's been uh, that's been wonderful and also when we have difficulties with parents we feel like we have an immediate person to go to to we can share you know with one of our elders this pastor who um who is already can come alongside of them and provide them extra care that they need. And, um, and the last thing is we do something kind of weird here at our church, but we found it's very important. And, and this ties into the pastoral oversight idea as well, which is if they feel like we have, um, we don't have enough volunteers to cover all of our, uh, children's ministry programs, we will, uh, cut the ministries that we have, the, the programs that we have, um, so that we feel like, or they feel like that the, the volunteers are being well cared for spiritually. I don't know if that makes much sense. That's um, awesome. Praise the Lord. That's cool. So, well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of sad that we, we wish that we didn't. We wish we could always provide everything they want. But, but still. Um, but we we find that, so our, our elders have decided that the most important parts of the Sunday worship day to have child care for is for um, the parents who have the kids most unlikely to understand the message and the parents most likely to miss the message mm-hmm. if they are with their kids. And so for us, that is the babies. And we have a baby explosion um, at our <laughs> church, and and so therefore, by making that decision, it's like we know, you know, like insurance policies are very particular about, you know, I think it's, I think our insurance policy is one caregiver for every two children in of that young, you know, the infant category, and so that eats up a lot of volunteers, and we have a, I think we have like maybe sixty percent of our church volunteers in children's ministry, not every Sunday, but you know, over the whole program. And, um, and so because of that, we've had to, um, we just don't have as many volunteers as we need to do everything we would like to do with other kids. And you won't believe this, but we actually have now cut out Sunday school in order to provide for enough volunteers for those little kids, the infants, in our two um, worship services. And we still have Praise Factory, which takes place during that hour-long sermon. So it's not like our older kids aren't getting any teaching. But we we just came to that decision back in November. Um, it's like, and, and by we, I mean the elders said, yeah. we think to care well for our congregation, we need to come back. We're finite. And, and, I, and I, it's not been fun. We've not all liked it. That's for sure. Uh, we missed the Sunday school um, opportunity, yeah. but but it's shepherding the whole flock, and you can only have that if you have good pastoral oversight. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, just related to this, is they actually limit 
how often teachers can teach. So um, we have, we have, I think we have three different kinds of programs. So depending on which program the elders have set up, say you can only volunteer once a month in this one or another program, it's kind of like runs month by month cycles. So say you can volunteer two months a year, but not two consecutive months because we want, and those are, those are the programs that are like praise factory that are during the sermon time. Yeah. Cause like we want you in there and, and we find that that helps some teachers uh, or some people be willing to teach because they know they're not going to be strapped to a class forever. And then they're, you know, they're never going to hear a sermon. And yeah. we find that it helps others who would love to stay in their classroom and not be in the service to actually get in and hear the word themselves. That's awesome. It's revolutionary in our in our church anyway. Yeah. Well, and I think that is so clear that you guys value shepherding the congregation as, across the board in that way more than just what might be seen seen in popular circles would be expedient. And uh, and I think that is so important. This concludes part one of a two-part interview with Connie Dever. We hope that you'll come back next week as we release the second part of this conversation. In the meantime, if you found this episode helpful, uh, please share it on social media, like it, repost it, uh, or just tell someone about it by word of mouth because that helps to further that conversation about how theology is so important in the ministry to family and children. As far as social media goes, you can reach out to us uh, on Twitter. Tony is at Anthony Trussoni, and I'm at Ben Palaz. We'd love to, to get feedback, to hear what's helpful, what's not, questions or ideas for future episodes. Um, so please reach out. Until next time, God bless you.